Welcome to the Woe Podcast about horses and horsemanship. I'm John Hare, and you found the place where we talk horses. On today's show, we're going to talk nutrition. On the line with me today is Will Friday from Performance Equine Bodywork. You might remember we talked to Will last year about the Masterson method. Well, he's also a nutritional consultant. And I got to admit, I let my horse scratch get a little bit overweight. I've put him on a diet, but still I want to figure out if he is nutritionally complete. So I've asked Will to come on today and tell me more about nutrition and the needs of my horse. Good morning, Will. How are you doing? I'm doing great, John. It's great to be with you again today. Good. Well, let's start off with first people get nutritional information from just about anywhere uh, i was in the vitamin business for 30 years myself and people always seem to trust the guy who is their next door neighbor's brother-in-law who uh, read an article about something somewhere and then he became the authority on nutrition tell us a little bit about your nutritional background and what we've got going for let's establish some credentials first okay well, I've always had an interest in nutrition and exercise physiology from in my college background. That was something I studied quite a bit. But when I got back into horsemanship and doing body work, I started to notice some things about, you know, conditions that tended to show up that were more body or excuse me, more nutritionally oriented than body work. And so I wanted to try and find a way to support horses and owners on that nutritional aspect. What I started doing was just a lot of research on my own, but I was also in the Pierce College Equine Science Program. We got a fair amount of animal science and animal nutrition, but not enough on the horses from my perspective. So I kept studying on my own, taking online courses and going to seminars and actually just talking to feed and uh, supplement reps and picking their brains. And it's one of those things that I get started on, you know, late at night researching something and go down the rabbit hole of, uh, online articles. To me, it's just really fascinating. And I love seeing the difference that it can make in the horse's performance when we just make a few simple changes to it. Now, is there something like the RDAs or the food pyramid that they've established for horses? There is, and it's called the NRC tables, nutrition requirement tables. Um, you can look these up online and we will have one attached to um, the links for this podcast, Great. but it basically tells you the, the amount of energy and nutrition that a horse needs in different states. For example, there's maintenance, there's breeding stallions, there's pregnant mares, there's working horses. And you can look at this and it gives you an idea of what your horse, you know, what they need, what they should be getting from their diet. Would the food pyramid be like uh, the forage and then maybe um, supplement or grain? Would that kind of make, you know, because I think humans, we have the vegetables and the dairy and the meat and stuff like that. Horses get most of their nutrition right from forage, correct? That's correct. And that's actually the best diet for a horse. You know, so many of our horses do just fine on a diet of good quality hay, clean, fresh water, salt, sunshine exercise, you know, and good hoof and veterinary care. The horse's digestive system is really miraculous on one hand and kind of frightening on the other of all the <laughs> possible things that can go wrong. 
I often joke that the horse's digestive system was designed by a committee of people who really didn't like each other. And they kept throwing <laughs> curveballs at each other as, uh, as they went along designing things. I'm going to talk about my horse scratch because we'll, just so we have some sort of frame of reference that you and I can go back and forth from. I've told you a little bit about him in our last interview. He's 15. He was a wild horse for most of his life. I've had him for five years now, but he grew up just living off of the land in a wild herd. I'm feeding him alfalfa hay. Now, some people use timothy grass. Some people use oat hay. Some people use a grass hay. What? First of all, what's the difference in feeding different types of hay? Well, here in California, alfalfa is very plentiful, um, and it's very affordable, and I love it. The other types of hay, you mentioned the grass hays, and oat hay, those are other different types of hay we have available here to us. A lot of it is what is your horse going to eat? And uh, some horses, for my horses decided, we just simply don't eat Bermuda grass anymore. We, we are done with it. And I have to find something, a grass hay, to substitute that with. But a lot of times, you know, here in California, alfalfa is our legume hay. It's a high-protein hay. Um, it's got a good amount of energy. The other haze, particularly the grass haze, Bermuda, Orchard, are really great for just fiber. And fiber is the most important nutrient in the horse's diet. And then when you get into the oat haze, uh, I like to watch out for those a little bit because they can have a slightly higher sugar content than some of our other haze. And to me, sugar is trouble looking for a place to happen in the horse's body. So um, as much as we can limit the the sugar content in normal horses is very important. But then when you get into horses that have some metabolic issues or um, insulin resistance, it's even it's even more crucial to watch those sugar contents. One of the hardest things I've tried to figure out with Scratch is we also have two quarter horses and uh, one of them's pretty good size, and the other one, uh, well, they're both, you know, 15-2, 15-3, and trying to separate flakes, uh, you know, I weighed flakes for a while and tried to get the hay that way, but found it uh, just to be a little bit troublesome, particularly in the wintertime when it's raining outside and you got to bundle mm. up to get out there to, to feed your horses. And then the bales change from batch to batch of hay, so... I mean, it, do you have to feed by weight when you feed forage like that? It, it is best to do that, and I do it kind of on average. Excuse me, when I open up a new bale and cut the strings, I will weigh a few flakes and get a sense of these three-pound flakes or are these eight-pound flakes. So then I can know how much I'm going to throw in there. I don't weigh every single flake, but I do want to get a sense of what the, what the average is looking like. Right. Two weeks ago, I opened up a bale, and the alfalfa flakes were probably close to eight pounds. They were big, thick, dense flakes. And the Bermuda grass was light and fluffy, and they were thin little flakes that, you know, maybe two inches or three inches thick. Mm-hmm. And they were running two or three pounds apiece. Well, then now this week, I've got Bermuda flakes that are four inches thick and probably weigh eight pounds on their own. And the alfalfa is thin and leafy. So I just keep a, keep track of that. And I bought a a little fishing scale and I hang that from a a pipe in my feed area and put a bucket underneath it. 
And I'll throw those flakes in there and check them every once in a while and just have a good sense. So then I can know, okay, this week I'm feeding two skinny flakes of alfalfa and one really heavy flake of Bermuda. And that gives me the total that I'm looking for in there. And the, the numbers we're looking at depends on whether your horse is in a maintenance or a working mode. And typically between one and a half to 2% of their body weight per day is usually what they need for their energy requirements. So we strive for that. Your horse scratch, he's around, you know, he's your typical horse. He's about a thousand pounds. So you're looking for somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 pounds of feed per day. That would be one and a half percent his body weight. If he was working more, you might take that up to as much as 2%. And, you know, when you get up into higher and higher work levels, you definitely increase their nutrient intake. Okay. Now, I, I admitted kind of at the top of the show that I let him get overweight. I think his his ideal weight is more around the 800-pound range than the 1,000-pound range. So I've put him on a diet, and he's lost some weight. You want to talk a little bit about horses and, and making sure that they keep their their weight more at an optimum level instead of letting letting them get fat like I did? <laughs> You know, that's actually one of the trickiest things to manage in the horses because their gut is different. We've got to keep that gut moving. And the best way to keep the gut moving is to have them have access to hay, you know, as much as possible. Um, We want to recreate their natural grazing conditions as much as we can. So the ideal state for our horses to eat in is Hay, hay available all the time where they can nibble a little bit and move around and eat a little bit and move around. If we don't keep that gut moving, then we can introduce some health challenges. You know, they, they may colic, they may develop ulcers, cribbing behaviors, things like that. So just restricting food, like if I wanted to lose some weight and I just said, all right, I'm going to cut out the carbs or I'm going to not uh, have dessert anymore. That's one way to do it. Or I could say, I'm going to do that and I'm going to increase my exercise. We can limit the horse's food only to a certain extent because we want to keep their gut moving. Really, it is exercise that helps them truly lose their weight and convert back to more muscle tone than, than the flatty tone that we sometimes let them get to. And John, don't, don't take it too personally because so many of the horses that I see in my bodywork practice are, are overfed. We had kind of a cold, wet winter here in Bakersfield, and during some of those cold days, they were, you know, they they just start shivering, even though we had a blanket on them. And I thought, well, they they need more fuel in the furnace, so they they got a little bit extra food, and they they chowed it down, and and actually all our horses kind of plumped up pretty good in the winter time, which I thought. Might and, and tell me if this is wrong thinking, but I thought it was good because they'd have a little extra layer of fat. Uh, one of our horses is 24, and, mm-hmm. uh, and it, we I thought it would make it easier on him to, to winter over. And was I wrong there? Well, you're definitely right that, you know, more hay in the wintertime does help them metabolically stay warmer. You know, we've all seen... Uh, horses out on the plains of Wyoming and Montana in the wintertime, no blankets out there in the snowstorms. You know, they've got a little run-in shed maybe they go into, but their main source of staying warm is burning hay. 
their gut generates heat as they as they metabolize that. So that's how they do it. And it's it's again that balance between just enough energy that they stay healthy and warm in this case, or too much and they start to gain weight or not enough and they start to lose weight. You know, it's not uncommon for horses to be a little less active in the wintertime and put on a little bit of weight. And then our our job comes spring and the better weather is to let's get them moving again and let's get the those few extra winter pounds off, you know not uncommon for us to put on a few pounds over the holidays too so we've got to get out there and start to exercise a little bit more too okay so i've got i've got scratch he's working on his uh nutritional requirements i gave him the forage how do i know that he's getting the nutrition he needs from the hay that i'm feeding him well the best way to know um, is to get a hay analysis Sometimes we can go to the feed store and where we buy our hay and ask them for it. And it's not as common as you know we would like to hope, but you can ask them for a hay analysis. And if they have it, that's great. You can actually take a sample of hay and send it away to a couple of different companies and they'll do the analysis for you. Now, that's a snapshot of that one particular bale of hay. Hopefully it's consistent throughout the load. But then you go and, you know, you buy hay from somebody else the next time and it's a different different region it comes from, a different uh, soil quality. What I often suggest to people do is if they don't have a specific hay analysis for their region is to get from Equianalytical, and we've got that uh, alfalfa analysis attached here, gives you an average of hay values. And this one that we've posted here is an 18-year range of all the alfalfa samples they've tested over that time period. And this is coming from all over the country. So you have a pretty vast data sampling here. It's a pretty good set of averages. So you can look and say the average alfalfa diet provides this, this level of nutrients. And we go back to our nutrition NRC tables and say, well, this is what they need. And then kind of minus what the hay is providing and the, answer there is what's missing from their diet. So we'll have the the alfalfa analysis on woolpodcast.com and it's a chart with all the different nutrients in uh, in hay obviously. Now I'm seeing some of these are in percent and some of them are in parts per million. Now how in the heck am I going to convert all that? Do I have to be a math major, Will? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big fan of cowboy math, and if we can round it off and multiply it out, we'll, we'll do that as often as we can. The way to think about this percent is parts per hundred. So, okay. you know, we know a penny is a, a 1% of a dollar. Right. Parts per million is where it gets kind of interesting because sometimes people hear million. Well, that's a lot. Yeah. Let's say, let's use your swimming pool as an example. You have a million gallon swimming pool. And if you have a one part per million concentration of chlorine, that means one gallon in the million gallons of water chlorine. With your background in nutrition, you're familiar with milligrams and the metric units there. So we do have to do a little bit of conversion here, but the metric system is, is pretty easy to work with, especially in nutrition. So the other way to think about parts per million is in milligrams per kilogram. So when we see something that, say, has 400 parts per million of copper in it, 
that means in every kilogram of that supplement or feed, there's going to be 400 milligrams of copper. Now, if we go back over to our, uh, our chart here, the nutritional requirement chart, we're going to look and see, wow, my horse needs at maintenance, they need maybe about 100 milligrams of copper. So this is actually more than enough copper um, in that particular supplement that we're looking at for my horse. So yeah, the, the parts per million and a lot of the conversion um, from percent to milligrams to parts per million does make reading a feed label or a supplement label a little confusing. And then on top of that, when we go to vitamins, they do those in international units. So, you know, we've really got so many different units that were coming together on one feed label. It, you can understand how people get kind of confused when they're trying to figure out these levels. Right, right. I give my horse what's called a ration balancer. My vet recommended it. He had done an analysis from the hay in the area and said, you know, a lot of the hay here is very good, except it lacks phosphorus in our soil. So here's a, here's a ration balancer that's designed if you feed alfalfa. There was also another one that was designed if you feed grass. Tell people a little bit about ration balancers. Well, the way you described it, John, all the steps were in place there because you said, first of all, your, your vet did a hay analysis of the area and came up with what's missing in that uh, hay and then created or found a formula that, that fits those needs. That's about the best case scenario we could ask for. And, you know, you sent me the label from this one here. And if I didn't have the information that you gave me that said your vet said that we were low in phosphorus in this region, I would probably pass on this supplement because one of the ratios we look at is calcium to phosphorus. And mm -hmm. typically, calcium phosphorus ratio should be two to one. For uh, every one phosphorus, there should be two calcium. And here we've got 1.5% uh, calcium to 2.5% phosphorus. So again, if I didn't know your vet said, hey, we're low in phosphorus in this area and we need to boost that in our horses, I would probably think about passing this one by. But the hay analysis, again, was the key feature to this that your vet took care of for you. A ration balancer is really perfectly named here. They're trying to balance out what's missing from your ration of hay. It's very different than a complete feed, which uh, there's a lot of different brands out there that are designed to be, you could feed your horse nothing but this bag of complete feed here. Um, and there's senior feed and you know different types of feed depending on the horse's makeup and condition. But a ration balancer is just there to fill in the gaps. And it looks like your vet picked this one out based on what was missing from the hay analysis, which is a great way to do it. Okay, before we go into some of the other supplements, I've got a question. I'm not sure how I'm going to frame it, but Scratch, like I said, he came from a wild herd. I keep him barefoot because that was the way he was in most his natural state. And I've been doing this podcast since 2012. And one of my very first guests was a nutritionist. And he says, you got to, you know, you got to give your horse salt. They need salt. And I'm, and and it's bothered, it's bothered me ever since, Will, I got to tell you, is that 
He never had salt out in the wild. He didn't have to worry about getting a salt requirement. Why do I give my horse salt? Well, again, we're trying to compensate for what's missing from their typical hay diet. And salt is one of the things that will be lower in there. Now, if we could go back in time and follow Scratch around in that pasture, that meadow that he was in up in the mountains, right? and you watch him graze out there in the, in the meadow, he'll go over to one side of it and eat a little bit, and then he'll walk around. And then he'll go over a little ways further and drop down and eat a little bit and walk around. Well, horses are really masters of knowing what's in those plants and what they need. You know, foraging for a horse is really a, a great scavenger hunt of, oh, I need a little copper. I'll eat this plant over here. Oh, I need a little salt. I'm going to go to this area and actually maybe even consume some of the dirt to get those salts. So even though we didn't have a salt block out there in that meadow that he was grazing on up in the mountains, he was getting salt from the soil and the minerals, just not in the high concentration that we see in the, you know, on our salt block. And then some horses with a salt block will just lick the holy heck out of a salt block. And some of them will just kind of go over there, take a couple of licks. And Renee's horse, Dusty, just he, when we put a salt block out there, he would go lick the salt block, go over to the water trough, drink, and then go over to his pee spot and pee. So, I mean, he had the, the holy triangle there. <laughs> you had him pretty well trained, didn't you? Is that, is that just a personality trait? It is, but what you described there is exactly how salt is supposed to work in our horses. Um, salt triggers the thirst mechanism in our bodies. We get salt in our bodies and we go, hey, I'm thirsty. Go over and drink. Well, and what happens after you drink? Well, you know, you got to pee. So those three, that is the, the holy triangle there of, of sodium and electrolytes in the horse. The thing about salt blocks that you see is they're really more appropriately designed for cattle. And the cow's tongue is kind of raspy, and it can actually get a, a fair amount of salt off of there. Horses' tongues are a little smoother, and they actually have a hard time. A horse that's really dehydrated and needs those electrolytes that are in the salt will lick and lick and lick, and it's, it's struggling to catch up when they're in a seriously dehydrated state. So that's one of the reasons why we, we add loose salt to their diet, because it's more readily accessible. So in my horse's mangers, there's, there's salt blocks in there for sure. But I also throw a scoop of salt in their uh, daily ration. I give them a little bucket with some pellets and some other supplements. And that salt is one of those things that I put in there. You only need a horse to colic once to realize that five cents worth of salt is a whole lot better than $500 worth of vet bill. Right, right. Okay, so we've got... Got the forage, we've got the ration balancer. What as far as supplements does a horse under, I consider scratch under moderate workload right now during the summertime. Uh, is he going to need any extra nutrition or oils or things like that? Well, one of the things that, uh, you know, when we look at the NRC table and their hay, what we find horses are typically missing is we talked about the calcium phosphorus balance. Um, we want to make sure that that's in the right levels. Mm -hmm. And then it's usually copper, zinc, and selenium are typically the minerals that are somewhat deficient in a typical hay diet. And then the other things that tend to 
break down the other nutrients that tend to break down and hay once it's cut and baled are vitamin E and omega-3 fatty acids. So if we can find, you know, the, the perfect supplement for, for scratch here would be look at the NRC tables, look at the hay analysis, and then see, does he need copper, zinc, selenium, some vitamin E and some uh, omega-3s? And that's probably pretty close to a really good supplement. The only other thing that tends to be missing from the typical hay diet are some amino acids that are the building blocks of protein. And the ones that are typically missing in the typical hay diet are lysine, methionine, and maybe a little bit of threonine. Those are the ones that are often missing. And if we look at your ration balancer here, I do see that they've added a little bit of methionine and a little bit of lysine in there to help um, boost those amino acid levels. Well, good. So we're kind of on the right track. He's looking healthy. He's working well. One of the big things in human nutrition is fish oil, which are the omega-3s. And I see here that you are using camelina oil. What's, what's that for? And why would someone use that? Well, the camelina oil is a source of vitamin E and omega-3 fatty acids. Our camelina oil, Wild Gold, is grown up in Montana, just outside of Glacier National Park. Uh, this farmer chose to find one of the most difficult places to farm and make a go of it. And he does great up there. It's a dry farm crop and it's botanically a cousin to flax. And a lot of people will feed flax to their horses for the, the omega trees. And that's a good source. There's a couple of challenges with flax. One is the stability and the shelf life is once right. you crush flax or grind it or press it into an oil, it's, it's much less stable. Um, quite often we use vitamin E as a preservative for oils. And the nice thing about the camelina oil is in the plant, there's a naturally high level of vitamin E. So our farmer doesn't have to add vitamin E to stabilize the camelina oil after it's cold pressed. So it's a really good source of the omega-3 fatty acids and vitamin E. In pasture, those vitamin uh, E and omega-3 levels are in a nice balance and the horses do well on them. But again, once we cut and bale the hay, those two nutrients start to decline. So a camelina oil is a, is a nice way to add some cool fat calories to their diet while providing um, the omega-3 fatty acids. And I still see in a lot of barns, you know, the old horseman's uh, trick to put some weight and some shine on a horse is give them a cup of corn oil or a cup of soybean oil um, on top of their grain. And it, it will put a shine on their coat. But the downside to an oil like corn or soybean oil is that it's really high in the omega-6 fatty acids. In our bodies, omega-6 fatty acids tend to support the pro-inflammatory pathways and the omega-3s support the anti-inflammatory pathways. Now, we need both. Um, we need to have inflammation and anti-inflammation cycles going on in our body to promote healing. But our diet and the horse's diet are well-supplied, oversupplied in the omega-6s. You know, if we take a look at your, um, your ration balancer, one of the ingredients in there is corn, 
and then we've got soybean meal in there too. And those would be potential sources of higher omega-6 concentration. And I really don't see a whole lot of omega-3s in this particular supplement. So that might, in looking at the ingredients here, that might lead me to say, maybe I'm going to add a little omega-3s and vitamin E to my horse's diet here. Right. Now, uh, of course, I've been kind of weight conscious with Scratch. Those oils have two and a half times the calories as a carbohydrate. Uh, what rate am I going to, would I, would I add the camelina oil to? Is it a tablespoon or is it, like you said, is it a cup? Uh, how much do you add to their diet to get a substantial amount of those omega-3s? Right. The, uh, the dose that we recommend is two ounces per day for your maintenance horse. And up to, I've had, you know, people with eventing horses, thoroughbred race horses, things like that, feed four ounces a day. We're really not feeding the oil as a source of calories. You know, we know it does have that two and a half times the calories, as you mentioned, of a carbohydrate. But it's really not being fed as an energy source. It's being fed as the, the vitamin E and omega-3 source. So the vitamin E content in the camelina oil is 254 IUs, international units per ounce. And we recommend a two ounce serving for that. So you're getting about 500 IUs of vitamin E per, per serving. And if we look at our NRC chart under maintenance, all the way down at the bottom there, we see 410 IUs of vitamin E is recommended for maintenance. And then if we scroll, say, all the way across to a horse in intense work, um, 920 IUs. So if we have a horse in intense work and we're looking at the camelina oil as the main source of the vitamin E, you know, we might go up to four ounces for that. But again, we're not feeding the oil as an energy source. We're really going for the, the omega-3s and the vitamin E. Okay, so we've, and we could probably spend another hour going through all the things. I've got uh, lots of questions on probiotics, how important they are, and some of the, the, the different trace minerals that, that you might want to check with your salt block to see if those have in there. But if somebody wants to find out more information, do you consult on a one-on-one -on -one basis with people? Yes, I do. We can either do it over the phone or I can come out to your ranch. Um, we look at what you're feeding. We take a look at all the feed and supplement labels and put it all together and what I really want to help folks do is owning a horse is expensive enough as it is. And there's really no need to make really expensive manure. It's already costing us plenty. And people want to do their best by the horse and feed them right. And sometimes, as you mentioned at the start of all this, you know, the sources of information, they're sometimes questionable. Uh, what works for one horse in one region may not work for another horse in another region. So we really do have to tailor it. But yeah, I, I love to talk to people about nutrition. And as you said, you know, gosh, we could go on for hours here because there's so many different uh, areas of a concern that uh, relate to nutrition and horses. So if people want to get more information about what you do, Will, where can we send them? Well, I've got my recently uh, remodeled website, which is performanceequinebodywork.com. Um, it describes all the products and services that I work with. Um, they can call me. Uh, my number is 310-804-6783. You can shoot a text to that same number. 
And you can also reach me uh, by email, and I'm will at performanceequinebodywork.com. Sounds great. It's always informative as ever, Will. Thanks for joining us on the Will Podcast today. It's always great to talk with you, John. Look forward to seeing you soon. We'll do it again. That will do it for another episode. Thanks to Will Friday of Performance Equine Bodywork for helping me figure out the nutritional needs for my horse scratch. You'll find all the links to Will's Facebook page and website in the show notes at wopodcast.com. You know, we talked about a lot of charts and databases offering nutritional information. After I spoke with Will, I did a little research and found Equa Analytical's website. There's a cool little page with feed analysis. The link is on the episode page at wopodcast.com. There's a good video for taking a hay analysis sample too. I've put the link there. Since I purchased my hay for the year from one supplier, I think I'll spend the $18 and get a hay analysis this year. I'll let you know what I find out. If you've done this, I'd love to hear your results. And finally, I've put a link to a cool little nutrient calculator on Equa Analytical's website. I found some other sites that offered analysis, but they were a little more expensive. If you have any suggestions, let me know and we'll add it to a future show. I've been buying hay essentially on looks for the last 20 years and have always wondered what the nutrient quality was. Talking about different forages with people from different areas of the country and world, you get a wide diversity of opinions. Ultimately, you decide what's best for your horse. As I mentioned in the last show, my production schedule is in a a bit of a flux. When I run across a good guest or an interesting story, I'll do my best to get it out quickly. Sadly, it won't be on a regular schedule. The best way to know when an episode is released is to subscribe on whatever service you find our podcast. It's all free. Wopodcast.com is the same place you can find all our episodes. There are well over 200 in our library now. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. In the meantime, I would like to hear about your horse. Do you have a story to tell? Share your story with us. My email is john at wopodcast.com or connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram under the name Wopodcast. Share a few photos of you having fun with your horse. I love seeing that. This COVID thing has gone on a lot longer than I expected. I'm so thankful to have horses. They make social distancing much easier and offer a place to escape some of the madness happening in our society today. Thanks again for listening and sharing the podcast. Please stay safe and healthy. Until next time, for Renee, this is John Hare saying, go have some fun with your horses. Bye-bye, everybody. I want to thank Total Saddle Fit for sponsoring the Woe Podcast. Total Saddle Fit makes the shoulder relief cinch With its unique shape and contours, the shoulder relief cinch redirects the latigos of your saddle to improve your horse's range of motion in the shoulders. The shoulder relief cinch is robustly padded and cutaways in the places where your horse needs it. 
Total Saddle Fit wants you to try this innovative new take on the cinch by offering free worldwide shipping. That's right. Try it for 30 days risk-free. I've got one I use on my quarter horse mare Jesse and my Mustang Scratch, and I really like the look and feel of the shoulder relief cinch. Over 10,000 riders rely on the shoulder relief cinch. Find your perfect size, color, and material at totalsaddlefit.com and tell them you heard about it on the Woe Podcast. 